Okay. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to Ephesians chapter 4. I got to tell you, today came a lot quicker than I expected. <laughs> I know there were some other things that Phil had planned. So this morning, my words will be few. <clears throat> I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. St. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Lord, I thank you for your word and for the power and the authority that's in your word. Lord, use me today to speak your word to your people in such a way that it's life for them. I ask this in Jesus' name. So I want to urge you this morning, as St. Paul urged the Ephesians. Interesting word, the word urge. The New International Version, what I just read, translates it as urge. King James Version uses a good biblical word. Instead of urge, it says beseech. We don't use beseech much in our everyday language. But that's what it says there in the, in the King James. I beseech you. New American Standard says implore. <clears throat> the Amplified says appeal. I appeal and I beg you. It's intriguing words. Sometimes when I read scripture, I'm preparing a message. Certain words stick out to me. Urge stuck out to me. So I looked up the definition in Strong's Concordance, and it means to strengthen, to encourage, to comfort, and to exhort. I'm thinking, hmm, that really reminds me of another scripture text that I've preached on many times. From 1 Corinthians 14.3, where it says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, comfort. I like that. I like in my study that no one, no translator, not, not strong concordance, no one interpreted this word urge to mean shame or guilt or manipulation or coercion. I like that. So today is my final Sunday as co-pastor of Mosaic. I urge you I urge all of you to live lives worthy of the callings you've received. You know, for years I read that verse, and maybe you're like me, but when I read that verse, this is what I heard in my head. Try harder. Live a life worthy because you're not living a life worthy. That's what, I, that's not what the text is saying. That's what my head says. 
Live a life worthy. Try harder. Sacrifice more. You're not being good enough. That's what I would hear. I don't know. Am I alone? Maybe I'm not alone. But when I study that word urge, I don't get that sense at all that that's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Christians in Ephesus. When he says, I urge you, he wasn't saying work harder because you're not good enough. I, I don't really think that was his heart in any way, shape, or form. Rather, I think he meant something different. I think he meant something vastly more encouraging. I seen a quote earlier this week, and I threw it on Facebook. Maybe you've seen, my, seen it when I put it up, and it says this. I forget who the author is. But this is a quote. I always wonder why birds choose to stay in the same place when they can fly anywhere on earth. And then I ask myself the same question. And I ask myself the same question. Why would we live a life anything less than what's worthy of the calling we've received? I think St. Paul is urging us to fly. That we were created to soar because God loves us and he lives inside of us. To live a life worthy of that. So I urge you. I urge you to fly. I urge you to soar. Now, Nadine and I, to that end, <coughs> trying to walk that out, he's taken us places we never expected to go. And he's had us do more than we've ever imagined. And for that, we're entirely grateful. I tell you what, it hasn't always been easy, but it hasn't been dull, <laughs> right? It's been, it's been a pretty exciting adventure. And for us, the adventure continues. I think that's what God intended for life to be. One great adventure as we follow him as he moves. So I urge you to go where the life is. Just like the Israelites followed the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. When he goes, go with him. And when he stops, stop. I urge you to go where the life is. I urge you to live love. If you're not sure what to do, and it'll be often, choose to love. I urge you to not only live loved, but live loved. The Heavenly Father loves you lavishly and extravagantly. His love for you never wavers. His love for you doesn't waver on your best day or on your worst day. That day when you're walking in the anointing and feeling the flow of the Spirit in your life and you're hitting all the cylinders, he loves you no more that day than the day when you're in the deepest mire of sin. No more. He loves you no less. His love for you is constant. It's perfect. It's complete. It's whole. And it never changes. He loves you because he is love. So I exhort you today. I urge you today to live a life worthy because he loves you lavishly and extravagantly. He really does. 
Not only do I urge you today to live love and to live loved, I encourage you, I urge you to live free. Because it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Live passionately. I look around this room, and I know that there are some passionate people in here. And, you know, it's kind of sad that most of our culture pulls back on the reins and causes us to live less than fully passionate lives. There weren't too many good sides to having cancer, but one of the things that it teaches you is, why wait? <laughs> why settle? Why go halfway? Why do less than? Live passionately. Live complete and full and free. You're called to live. You're called to love. And you're called to freedom. So live a life worthy of that calling, and never settle for anything less. This text goes on to, to, to say a few other things that are just so worthy of, of, of noticing today. Paul tells them to be humble. Boy, oh boy, if I've learned anything over the years is that humility is my friend. It keeps me out of trouble and gets me out of trouble. And I'll do the same for you. Paul goes on to challenge them to be gentle and to be patient. You know what? <clears throat> We're all broken. We're all wounded in one place or another. So I encourage you, be kind. Extend grace. Be merciful. We all need it. And I've learned that when I extend mercy, I seem to get mercy. Scripture goes on to say, he urges us to bear in love. To bear in love. Bear means to hold up. And this is the picture I have. When I think about bearing in love, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about a football player who's injured on the field. And he has two buddies come alongside him. And he drapes his arms over their shoulders. And they bear him up and help him walk. And help them off the field. We need friends like that. Because the journey that we're on, at some point or another, you're going to take a hit. And you're going to go down. And you're not going to be able to get up by yourself. And I don't think you're supposed to. I don't think you have to. I don't think it's the way he designed it. I think God designed us with an absolute need for one another. There will be times... Maybe you're in a season like that right now where you need a friend to come under each arm and carry you for a while. That's what it means to bear in love. So bear in love. <clears throat> Paul tells us to love one another. The, my time here, Nadine and I, our time here together in New York, if you remember nothing else, then remember this. It's more important to love than it is to be right. It's always more important to love than it is to be right. Because if being right comes at the expense of love, the price is way too high. Love never fails. 
Word of God's true. It never, ever fails. A wise friend told me once, he says, love always looks like it's losing until it's not. And that's the message of the cross. That's the message of Calvary. That's the message of the resurrection. That love looks like it's losing until it's not. Because love never fails. So love one another. Remember to love one another. When you're really annoying one another, remember to love one another. <clears throat> when you're frustrated, love one another. When things are going their way and not your way, love one another. This next part of it, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. <laughs> make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Yes. Every effort. Make every single effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. <clears throat> The message says it well. He's, Peterson interprets that verse this way. He says, And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. Alert at noticing differences and quick. At mending fences. The church could use more fence menders <clears throat> instead of wall builders. Right? I tell you what, from my experience, love unifies. It's pride that divides. So live love. Love one another. Choose to love. If you have to make a sacrifice, sacrifice your rightness for the sake of love. It will never disappoint you. And it will advance the kingdom. <clears throat> because there really is one body. Not a vineyard or a bridge or a mosaic, but one church. There really is one church. Jesus is coming back for a bride, not a harem, right? <clears throat> In John 17, Jesus asked the Father to make us one. And I believe with all my heart that the Father's going to answer that prayer. I think our experiment here, taking two congregations and bringing them together in a small measure, is an expression of that. That he will make us one. And it might be to make the church, <laughs> the worldwide church one, that might be the greatest miracle God ever performed. But I think he'll, I know he'll do it. He's not saying no to Jesus' request. I look forward to that day. So I urge you today to live a life of the worthy of the calling that you've received. And so before I share some revelation I got, I just want to say thank you to a few people. <clears throat> Phil, I especially want to thank you and Patty. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your love. Thank you for reaching out and being a friend to me from the very beginning, right after I got here. I don't think I was here very long. Maybe only a couple of months or so. So thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being open to the idea of merger and the way that you loved us and honest, honored us throughout the whole process. Thank you very much for that. I want you to know that I love you and that I respect you. 
<clears throat> and that I really value our friendship. So thank you, my friend. Me too. Just saying, no. The whole Mosaic team, thank you guys. When the bridge came here, we had gone through a lot, and some of it was pretty challenging. And you guys just loved us so well as we came in the door. And so I want to say thank you for that. Thank you for loving on us. God is so good. To all my bridge friends, former bridge members, thank you for believing in me. <laughs> thank you for your steadfast and faithful friendship in the best and in the worst of days. Thank you for all of your love. Um, I especially want to say thank you to Kyle and to Sal. Uh, you guys really stepped up when some other people stepped out and your, your support and your leadership uh, and your friendship and your sacrifice and service uh, are priceless at a critical time. So thank you guys. Thank you very, very much. You're a very good man. You're honorable men. Honorable men. You truly are men of character and integrity. And I'd get in a foxhole with either one of you any day, any time. I know you'd have my back and know this, I would have yours. You are absolutely the right guys in the right place at the right time. I, I could just look around the room and just thank everybody. You know, Paul and Anna for opening your home. That party, that barbecue we had there, watching, uh, watching Beth and Erica on the trampoline that day, I may never forget that, you know? That was a blast. Jenny, all those hours that we spent at the Spoon together, whether we had people come in for encounters or not, we had some great conversations. Jen, you are an absolute joy and delight and really needed help with some of the administrative stuff and you stepped in. And, and the Campbells, you guys have just been faithful friends uh, from the very beginning. It's been delightful uh, getting to know you. John, you're incredibly generous, picking up the check way too many times at the Spoon. You're a good man. The, uh, the Konya and Fowler clan, you guys are amazing. Two of, them, two of the mamas are here today. Both of you guys have great kids. You got amazing children. I love your families. I so appreciate the way you guys have loved me uh, all the way through. You're just amazing. Just amazing. And so... We're going to miss all of you. And like um, Donna read in our friend Tom Palmer's letter, we, we left West Virginia 12 years ago. And then he's talking, he's making reference to his, was that time. And so for some of you, be encouraged by this. Nadine and I are pretty good at maintaining friendships with people after God moves us on to the next place. You know, guys like Tom ought to be evidence of that. If you follow me on Facebook at all, I have friends from all across the country and back again. And we just look forward to, to time with you guys, you know, enjoying that same kind of uh, reaction, that same time of interaction and friendship. So we do. I love and I appreciate all of you from the bottom of my heart. You guys are amazing. Vaughn and Joanne, you guys are awesome. Generous, almost to a fault. Some great wisdom. Lots of fun together. 
Lots of hot sauce at your house. <laughs> like a fire hot sauce. <laughs> so I, the other day I was asking the Lord that he would give me some uh, revelation. Uh, because Phil had specifically required that. And so um, I want to share with you what I got. Um, it seems to be um, a theme. To He gave me five different bits of revelation I want to share with you. And I don't have full understanding of it. But they seem to be somewhat um, cryptic, like um, almost like it's like a puzzle or a mystery that you'll get to experiment with and, and let it unfold for you. Um, and the other thing, it seemed that there was a theme as far as um, tempo and rhythm. So let me share them with you and I'll expound on them a little bit. <clears throat> So I got five different things. This is the first thing I saw when I asked God. I saw three peaks, and it kind of went like this. Up to a point, and like this. And then up a little bit higher to a point, and like this. And then another one, about the same height as the first one. And like this, up and down. Three peaks, the middle one slightly higher than the other two. And I felt like this represented um, three events or seasons for the church, and that there would be these three significant highlights that would happen over time. In some ways, it almost, almost looked like a heartbeat on the EKG. And so there are there are three events coming, three high points, and the, the, there's going to be one that's significantly higher than what's the baseline is, and then the middle one's going to top even that. And then there'll be a third event. So look forward to these three. It's either three events or three seasons of time. And I think it's good stuff. I think it's really good stuff. I don't know what they are, but that's what I've seen. <clears throat> the second thing I've seen was, um, have you ever taken a, a coin and put on your thumb and flipped it up in the air like that? <clears throat> that's what I've seen, the coin that was spinning. And I could tell it was a nickel. And I could tell it was a two-headed nickel. <laughs> right? And it was spinning end over end in the air. And this is what I knew when I looked at it. That either way you win. It's going to come up heads. It's not coming up tails. You're the head and not the tail. Either way you win. On one side of the coin, kind of like along the edge, was written the word freedom. And on the opposite side was written the word love. <clears throat> and this is what it means. It means a change, coins... It means that change is in the air. Right? And that there's grace, five, a nickel, that there's grace for freedom and for love. It means that change is in the air and that there's grace for both love and for freedom. The third thing I've seen, Sal's going to like a whole lot. <clears throat> I've, seen, uh, I've seen from the view of a marksman looking at a bullseye through the scope of a rifle. Okay? Sometimes in the movies, you know, they got the guy, he's the sniper, but you don't see anything else. You just kind of see that picture, right, as if you were looking right through the, through the lens yourself. And that's, that's, that's the, what I see. And this marksman is loading uh, one bullet at a time. And he takes a shot, and I see that he hits dead center on the bullseye. It wasn't even like he hit the outer ring of that center bullseye, but just dead center on the bullseye. Then he takes another bullet and puts it in, and I can see through, boom, and it's like that bullet goes through the first hole. 
and then another one, and another one, and another one. And he just repeatedly hit the bullseye. Now, God speaks to me in pictures. You guys know this by now, right? He speaks to me metaphorically, parabolically in pictures. I, my brain is wired that way. So when he speaks to me in pictures, I understand what it means. <laughs> Sometimes. And so when I've seen this, I seem to know that the marksman is God. And that the rifle is the church. And that the individual bullets are you. It's people. And that the bullseye is your destiny. You're in very good hands. You won't miss because he never misses. You can trust him. You can trust him. So you get that? God's the marksman. The rifle is the church. The individual bullets are you, his people, and that the bullseye is your destiny. You can trust yourself into his hands. You can go where he sends you to go and do what he sends you to do. He will never miss the mark. So two more things. As I sought God, I just had a sense that in the future that drums were going to continually be significant. I believe that we're in a season where God's speaking through the drums. God's speaking through rhythms. And I think from tribe to tribe, he's communicating through the drums. Again, this is one of those mysterious kind of riddles that you're going to have to figure out, okay? But drums are significant. Listen to the drums. There are tribes on earth that communicate through drum beats. It's only happened to me once, but I heard God prophesy through drums once. I listened to the drums, and in the same way you would interpret tongues, I was interpreting the drums. I believe God speaks through the drums. He communicates. <clears throat> so pay attention to tempos. Pay attention to rhythms. The tempos are rhythms of life. They're going to be peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. Because we can't always have all peaks. <laughs> but we don't always have all valleys. And God's in both. Right? He's at the top of Mount Zion. And he's in the shadow of the valley of death. He's in both places. I can't. There's no place so high or so low that I can go. That I can run from his love. Right? He's in the rhythm. And so recognize that there are rhythms. Enjoy the peaks when they come. And endure the valleys when they come because there's another peak coming right behind it. So pay attention to rhythms and the tempos. Your own life rhythm and tempo. The rhythm in life and tempo of the church. Pay attention to it. I think there's profound significance in it. Now Phil's a drummer. I play percussion. Most musicians know this. Most musicians, especially drummers, you instinctively can hear when something's off-tempo, right? You can instinctively hear if there are two musicians, you know, playing at a different downbeat. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense to some of you guys? Now, I've been in some churches where there were white people, man, that they couldn't find a downbeat with a map, Okay. <laughs> I don't care how many people are clapping on a downbeat, they just can't find it. 
there's, there's something that's settling. There's something that resonates in our spirit when we're in the right tempo, when we're on the right beat. We want to be on the downbeat when it's down. We want to be up when it's up. We want to, we want to follow his tempo, his rhythm. So I think tempos and rhythms are going to be significant. I'm not exactly sure how, but, I'm, but that's what I sensed. That's what I saw. The drums are significant. And this is the last thing I see. I saw that for Mosaic, that there would be friendships to the north and to the south. So there would be translocal um, relationships. You will have connection, relationship with other groups of people um, to the north of you and to the south of you. Friends to the north and to the south. Trans-local relationships developing in the future. So pay attention to connections with Connecticut and pay attention to connections with New Jersey. All right? So I don't think it's North Shore and South Shore or Long Island. I think it's bigger than that. Prince Edward Island. <laughs> you will always have a connection as long as I live on Prince Edward Island. I think that's North. That's North. That's absolutely North. <laughs> And so what it looked like was this. If you throw a pebble in a pond, there are rippling circles going out. So from the, you know, where Mosaic Church is located, I see rippling going out. And it's, again, there's this tempo thing. There's this beat thing. There's this rhythm thing that seemed to be continual through these five pieces of Revelation. But as the, the rings go out, as the rippling goes out, there will be friendships. There will be connections, translocal relationships. Was a, was a term that made most sense to what I was seeing. And so pay attention. Look, look for, in the future, connections to the north and to the south of you. I think, I could be wrong with this, but I think that it's other churches. I think that there's a church in Connecticut and a church in New Jersey. That's not the revelation. That's my trying to interpret what I was perceiving. But there's groups. There's friendships from both those places. And at some point in the future, I felt like I, I wanted you to, to know that, to be mindful of that. And so, so let me pray a prayer of blessing. Well, Father God, it's been an honor. It's been such a privilege to serve you and your kingdom and your people here on Long Island. Lord, I thank you for the many friends that we've made in these three and a half years. And thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us, oh God. I thank you, Jesus. And so, Father, I ask you, my final act as co-pastor of Mosaic Church, Father, I ask you to please come and bless every man, woman, and child that calls this church their home. More than anything else, Lord, I ask for an increase of your presence in their lives. That they would hear you more easily. That they would see you clearly. Lord, that you would speak to them in ways that they understand. That they would know your language. And that you would speak their language. Lord, I pray for deep, abiding intimacy in their relationship with you, every person. I pray for my friends here, oh God, 
that only not only would they live love, but that they would live loved, that they would know how lavishly, how extravagantly you love them. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of your unconditional love on their worst of days. Remind them, O oh God. Lord, I pray that there would be a release of your spirit in this place, especially concerning prophetic gifting. Do it, Lord. I ask that you would give to my friends the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they would know you better. Just like Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. Give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they would know you intimately, personally know you, experientially know you. They know your heart, that they know your mind and your ways. That they keep in tempo and rhythm with you. They keep in step with you, oh God. Do it, Lord. That you'd walk hand in hand, side by side with my friends on the journey that's ahead. Do it, Lord. I ask that your kingdom would come in this place. That your will would be done in this place. That there would be heaven on earth in this place. That your name would be glorified in this place. That your kingdom would be advanced in this place and that your people, that your children would be blessed. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Just one last thing. Guys, I release you. As you release me, I release you. Not our love, not our friendship. But I release you from any any foolish need to maintain anything that I did while I was here. I release you from that sentimentality. I release you from that sense of obligation. And I release you into God's hands that you would do whatever he's doing. You're free. You're free. You're free to follow him. You're free to follow his ways because they're not going to be Tom's ways. You're free to follow him. You're free to do what he's called you to do. And to be everything that he's called you to be. I release you. I love you. And as an expression of love and my value for freedom, I release you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.